You are listening to the Getting Social Podcast, where we get social on entrepreneurship and everything that comes with it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Getting Social Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Palacard, and these are my co-hosts, my son, Zhao, and my daughter, Joy. For those of you who are only listening to this podcast, you are missing out big time because the cuteness level on this episode is at an all-time high. For those of you watching and wondering why I have my two kids with me today, the reason is because we are talking about generations. Some people say that success skips a generation. In that case, let's just hope that it skipped me and goes straight to my kids. But my next guest, Christian Barrientos, will talk about his upbringing and the reason why he's so level-headed and why he's so mature for his age. But I feel like bringing my kids into this episode would not only score me some points, but also help me point out the fact that we teach our kids everything. So when they become successful, it will be a result of our doing. So anyway, as you can probably tell, I don't have a lot of time left with these guys on my lap. So let's jump right into it. It's time to get social. (laughs) All right, Chris. So we met just over a year ago, and I must have told that story to everyone already that I had never met a 21-year-old at that time, at least, so level-headed and determined for success like you are. And I want to also start by asking you, about your upbringing, uh, your background, and basically the reason why you are the way you are at such a young age. Sure, yeah. So I uh, grew up basically a pretty normal life. I, I think um, my parents did a really good job of instilling in me the value um, of just not really settling for the average result and, and always just looking to see ways that you can improve upon yourself. But uh, taking a little bit further than that or further back than that, um, on both sides of my family, I have grandparents that have reached the, the heights or the pinnacle of success in their respective fields. And I think that as I grew up and uh, matured and was able to really appreciate that heritage and that lineage really started to shape me. Um, on my dad's side, my grandfather was president of Bolivia back in the 1960s. And on my mom's side, my grandfather on that side is, is a very successful uh, entrepreneur who was able to retire at a very young age relative uh, even to back then. Uh, yeah, so my grandfather on, on that side was uh, definitely a mentor and still is. And those were always stories that I heard growing up and um, was never really appreciated the, the gravity of it or the significance of it until I was about 20 years old. And I realized that I had greatness in, in my family, in my blood. And I don't think by any means success or achieving goals is something that is wired into DNA. I think anybody can do it with the right mindset. But once I realized that it actually happens to be running through my blood on both sides of my family, it really clicked for me. And I realized that I can do it because it's been done in my family before. And uh, that put a little bit of uh, weight on me, I feel, not in a bad way, but I, I felt like I had to live up to that legacy. And, you know, you hear stories of people coming from way at the bottom and making it. And I was 
by no means starting anywhere near the bottom with with uh, the privilege that I was able to grow up with. Sorry to interrupt, but quickly, I, I was just going to ask you that about the pressure, because you did say that, you know, it put some weight on your shoulders here in terms of yeah. trying to living up to that. Yeah, yeah. So um, to clarify, there was never any um, exerted pressure by anyone in the family on me. Uh, it's like a lot of things, it, it's self-imposed. So it's just uh, something that, when I realized it and I was able to conceptualize what I had uh, in my in my family, that is what made me realize that, you know, not only can you do this because you have it in you, but you should because you're it's, it's in your blood. You have you to settle for anything less would almost be disrespectful to what came before you. Hmm. Uh, and um, that's that's just sort of how I'm wired. Like I said, it was never anyone in the family saying you better do well or, or you're going to let, let us down. It was actually always the opposite. Um, that perhaps there's too much leniency, you know, there's always a swing to the left or right, depending on where they stand, you know? So that being my, my grandparents, their children got sort of the other side of it where it was less or more pressure, which ended up resulting in, you know, less, uh, less of a push because that bar was set so high. And then they say wealth skips a generation and, and that hmm. just so happens to be the case in my family. Um, and so my parents didn't do as well, quote unquote, whatever you want to call well, but they just, they didn't do as well as my grandparents. And, and so in that sense, I feel like in, in my generation now with my siblings, it's, we've swung the other way and there's now that, that recognition that, Hey, this was done before, um, you know, upwards of, of four or five decades ago, but now it's our turn and we can do this. So it's, it's really embodied uh, a lot of my generation and in, in terms of my family that we can actually reach those heights, even though our parents may not have, and they did very well for themselves. Um, but we can go further. We know that we can go further. And, and that's been the motivator. Wow, this is so awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that because I remember one of our first conversations, um, I did ask you about some of that stuff and you probably did tell me a lot of it. Some of it I retained, some of it I completely probably forgot or maybe was paying attention to something else. I don't recall you uh, telling me that your grandfather was the, the president of Bolivia. Yeah, that's um, a better kept secret. Uh, a, a lot of those things I, I usually don't bring to the forefront. Um, not for any reason. I'm definitely not ashamed of it. Um, more so it, it's like, um, build your own legacy, you know, and I, w I want to be known for, for what I'm able to bring to the table. Not so much what my family has been able to pull off. Wow. I love it, man. I was asked this question a few weeks back, actually on another podcast about living uh, in my dad's shadow because as a, you know, famous Haitian musician and me following his footsteps along with my brother, I always felt that way that, you know, I was living under his shadow. Mm. Also, the pressure was different. You know, I know I'm not as good as him. Like he got better and better every year. That was his true passion and still is. And he put in the work. And I always blame myself for that, for never really putting the work, uh, putting time into my craft. All right. So yeah, that's something that that I guess maybe will haunt me. 
I don't know, but I'm satisfied with where it's taken me, you know, but I still think that I could have done a mm -hmm. lot better, you know, a lot better with the talent that I had and the environment that I had. So for you, you don't even mention that, you know, because you don't want it to be uh, a contributing factor to, to your legacy. You want it to be your own, you know, and that's, to me, it's bad. That's badass. That's why you're on this podcast, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm, I mean, it, it really just goes to the fact that, um, I mean, this is something that I that I picked up in in sales is what happened yesterday. That happened, you know. And if hmm. if you close the deal yesterday, that doesn't mean anything today. You know, you need to get the next deal. Uh, so, in the context of of my lineage, it happened, and I pre I appreciate it, and I I fully respect it. But it happened, you know. And that that can't be what what I ride on. I need to ride on my own wave. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think it's really important for people to acknowledge their past and their history, but be able to separate themselves and move forward and build their own legacy. Both your grandparents were successful, obviously, but do you know where they were at at your age, career-wise? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my parents at, at this age, they were, uh, for better or for worse, essentially following the, the path that was set. Um, in that generation, you know, go to go to the university and and get your degree and do it and, and all of that. They were on that track and following it faithfully, like a lot of people in that generation did. Um, not really any aspirations in terms of um, politics on in the case of on my dad's side uh, or entrepreneurial endeavors in the case of my mom's side. Although my mom did end up opening her own company uh, a number of years down the line, actually when I was born, so when she was in her 30s. But no, I would say um, they they were definitely on the track to just follow the status quo, uh, and no, not knocking that. It, it's a generational thing, and and you are to a large degree a result of the generational trajectory that you find yourself in. And there's outliers in every case. Um, my grandparents on my dad's side, he was, I don't know very much his history. Uh, I'd love to get to know more, but I would expect that he was most likely entering the Bolivian air force at that point or beginning to serve. That was how mm. he started his career was, was in the military. Um, so at 22, he may have just been breaking into that. Uh, or some to some degree, you know, um, finishing that up. And on my mom's side, my grandpa was, uh, he started off in a car dealership. And at 22, I was probably just out of college starting to get started there. And um, funny story about him is he, he rose the ranks pretty quickly. Uh, and his boss promoted him and, and he shook his hand and he said, Alan, that's my grandfather's name. He said, congratulations, Alan. You have, you've reached the top of your career and, and you did it. This is it. And he, he shook his hand back and he quit. And he said, uh, no, I haven't. And he opened his own car dealership and <laughs> ended up becoming a, um, the sole distributor of Mercedes in Jamaica for a number of years and, and built his fortune and was very successful. So that was always a very interesting story because reaching the, the top um, only to say that to be able to recognize 
that it isn't the top. And, you know, being so in tune with your own potential, uh, that story has always stuck with me. That it, It's a profound and, um, and dangerous move. And I liked it. You need to be, you need to be able to take those kinds of risks. And I've always appreciated it. Let, let me ask you this. If someone were to tell you this, like your boss would tell you, you have reached the peak of your career, would you take it as an insult? You, you know, in the, in the context of, of knowing that story, I'd, I'd love to say that I would respond the same. Um, I, I really wouldn't be able to say unless I'm, I'm there, but in my current state and current mental state and, and where I want to be, I wouldn't take it as an insult per se, but I would uh, humbly disagree because I don't think anybody should be able to tell you that you've reached your, your peak. Only you can decipher that truly. And the only way that you could agree with that person is if you yourself agree with it. Uh, so there's, a, again, going back to settling, you know, if someone tells you you reached your peak and you've settled, then I suppose you have. Wow, man, you're so wise, man. That's uh, that's a very wise thing to say. Throughout this journey, Chris, I mean, obviously, we spoke about a lot already about your upbringing, about your, your family, and also this mentality, you know, the, this go-getter type mentality and successful type mentality. But in terms of challenges and lessons that you've, you've, you've learned throughout those years, are there any specific ones you would share with us that, you know, maybe you would have reacted differently today, you know, now that you're more mature, something that happened maybe in your, in your teens or in high school and college that you would have done better now that you're a lot more mature? Because it seems like, you know, on a, on a monthly basis, you know, you, you mature a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's. There's quite a few. Um, I think the the most relevant one in terms of entrepreneurship is um, when I first broke out in, into this field and, and started in, into the world of business, I was given a, a loan, or let me take that back actually. So leading up to that, I was training for a, a, a competitive tournament uh, in a um, a Muay Thai match or kickboxing who may be more commonly recognized in, in the States. Yeah. So, uh, when I was breaking out into these, uh, business world and, and entrepreneurial endeavors, uh, leading up to that, I was training for a kickboxing tournament and ironically enough on my way to the last physical that they take before you're, you're cleared to compete. I got into a car accident. So of course I'm on my way to the doctors and I get into an accident and, um, long story short, I ended up competing. Um, didn't really show up as the fighter that I could have showed up as I suffered a, a pretty debilitating injury where I lost about 90% of my mobility, wow. um, barely being able to walk. Um, from that car accident, I did get, $10,000 from the insurance claim. So it wasn't all bad. I was sitting on $10,000. Um, and then after that, I sort of rewired and I'd been very much focused on fighting, not as a profession or a career, but it was just something that had really captured my interest. But after that moment sort of shifted and I, that was a really pivotal moment for me where I realized there's a lot of risk and a lot of unknowns in this field and there's not a lot of money in it. And there's, I just sort of got brought uh, back down to earth and I realized I needed to go after something that I could really, um, 
bite into and, and build a career out of that, that I know I could be successful in and being more in control of. So that sort of steered me towards business and entrepreneurial endeavors. So going through that, I ended up um, taking on a, a family company that my grandfather had started over 15 years ago. And with that, he, he gave me $8,000 to start. Uh, so now grand total, we had $18,000 in the bank. And this is relevant because the experience that I learned essentially was you have to be very um, you have to be very careful with your finances um, and <laughs> be very calculated with every dollar. And I wasn't being wasteful in the sense of buying jewelry or anything stupid like that. I, it was more so I was so excited to finally be quote unquote an entrepreneur. Uh, that it was essentially a race to zero. I got my first office. I, I hired someone and no sales. It was still in the developmental phase. And these are all things looking back. And as I recall it, I'm, I'm just shaking my head um, because it's it's a lesson that you had to learn. Unfortunately, I had to learn them the hard way. But essentially within three or four months, I was I didn't just lose the full 18,000. I was ending up in about 20,000 in debt. So I'd gone from green to negative red. That's a $40,000 turnaround. That, yeah. In the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, what that, what that showed me though, you know, was it, it's not about the failures and, and how low you sink. It's, it's really about how you respond to that, uh, that adversity. So what that showed me and, and what that pushed me to do was start creating income because I, I wanted to get out of debt as quick as possible. And that those moments, those six months were so, so pivotal because they taught me the lessons that I feel are mostly responsible for a lot of businesses failing is, is just not being able to carefully manage the finances in a way that you can scale or survive with everything that's been going on recently. Um, Available capital is it's a really, really important thing to to always have um, available, you know, and, and that was an, the most important lesson. And since then, I've become much more responsible fiscally. And I would say that is that was the biggest challenge was overcoming um, $20,000 of debt where my income was literally zero and building an income and, and being able to sustain that over a period of time and staying committed to paying down the debt and staying just uh, hopeful that things would always improve, you know, and that was the most important thing. I didn't know about that either. And that's a, uh, that's an interesting story because it's, it is a big lesson and you were facing a challenge and, and I think it's part of the recipe for success. I, I don't think I've heard, or maybe because that's the reason why we don't hear about them because their stories are not as, special or not that rare because we never really hear about the person that just literally never failed. Every success story really begins with failures and, and mistakes. And I think that's part of the reason why we become successful. Yeah. And, and it, it wouldn't, from my perspective, it wouldn't be much fun to just hit the lotto and, and win, hey, you know, hey. because listen, a lot, a lot of <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't take it that far. Let, let, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Most people that hit the lotto end up bankrupt. That's accurate. And why is that? They they don't approve. And I won't speak for the masses, but that statistic is is revealing because the the fact is they didn't work for it. They just they struck it, so it's very easy to blow it. You know, and that speaks to human nature. It's not a knock, but it's it is what it is. Let me tell you yeah. something though. That's the average. I think when you put when yeah. you put out the average yeah. for almost anything, it will be almost to your disadvantage. But sure. just remember that you're not. You know, you should always consider yourself at least that you're not the average. You're better than that. Right. So if you were right. given what well, whatever ten million bucks, for example, I mean, this will should literally change your life forever, yeah. uh, including your kids and everything, depending on how you know yeah. you approach it, right? And I know I probably would have done the same thing. And even for myself, I'm not probably the most literate financially, but at least I have my brother. I can always like, hey, man, what do I do with this thing here? You know, <laughs> and yeah. make sure that I don't yeah. mess it up. You know what I mean? But um, let's talk about Generation Z, man. I find it interesting that we have different generations with, you know, different stigmas attached to them. They call it the social media internet generation because you guys were born straight into this thing. You know, and as part of this generation, how do you see the world today and, and what role do you think social media uh, and just media in general, digital, plays in shaping your young minds? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question because I remember growing up, the dial-up internet, and I remember a time before social media. So I, I was growing, I was young, I was very young during that time. Mm -hmm. And I definitely grew up with social media uh, more so than, than not. But I do remember the times before that. Um, and, you know, it, it's really interesting because growing up, uh, I would say, you know, starting with MySpace, that was the first social platform that I was active on. And that was, I was in fifth grade, which is crazy that I was active on social media then, but speaks hmm. to it. You know, there, you had a, you had a very young demographic getting active digitally for the first time in human history. So it's a groundbreaking thing. Um, and so growing up, it, it was more of a tool and it was a, it was what it was social media. And, and that was what we would congregate on after school. You know, you get on my face. Hey, why, why aren't I on your top five? You know, I thought we were boys. Or, and <laughs> so that's probably a dated reference. A lot of people won't remember that, but yeah, you used to have a, a rating system on, on your social media. Uh, and then Facebook came around and, and all the others. And that was more going into middle school and high school. They still remain relatively social from the context that I was using them in. But then something happened, I, I think, or at least where I noticed it was happening from way back then, but I noticed it back in 2014, 2015, there was a, there was a pivot where the government started getting really involved, at least in discussion about social media's roles. And, and that started to trigger a few questions in my mind. And, and, and then I started to see also a switch from it wasn't about conversations anymore. It, was, it started to become very commercial um, with advertising and, and a lot of businesses became present on it. And then fast forward to today. And it's, if you look at a juxtaposition of Facebook uh, and MySpace isn't even around anymore, if it is, no one uses it. But if you look at Facebook from today compared to where it started, 
you wouldn't even recognize it. And it's, I think, I think socially, like all things, it's, we're going through growing pains, you know, and, and there's a lot of issues with freedom of expression on social platforms. You know, if you don't hold a particular opinion, you are liable to get quote unquote canceled, which uh, call it what it is. It, it is an infringement on, on those rights, you know, and depending on the severity of your opinions, sometimes it's justified, but it's hard to play that, that policing, um, as a private company. So I, I feel again, that we're, we're going through this revolutionary time where this is the first time we've ever had anything like this. So of course there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be some weird occurrences where, you know, bounds and boundaries start to get pushed. But I think with all things, if it's given enough time and there's enough patience around it, we will get through and we'll, we'll discover ways to, to navigate this, this, it's an entirely new world, but we will learn how to navigate it and, and be, um, social again. And, and that was it's funny because I, I'm in the marketing field. So I, we need social media. It's part of, it's part of what we do, but from a, a personal standpoint, I, I think right now it's done a lot more harm than it's done good. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with the over commercialization of it. Um, and again, that's completely contradictory to my career, but that's, um, that's what I think as a, as a person, I think it, it definitely needs some improvement on that side of things. It's not necessarily social media or the platform mm. themselves that are contributing to that. It's how it's being used. Cause you could say the same thing yeah. about, about guns. You could say the same thing about a lot True. of other things. Uh, even though obviously for all of those things, if you can raise those questions, it, sh it should speak to the necessity of having some sort of rule book right? So th there should be some limitation, even age restrictions, in my mm -hmm. opinion, should be one of those things. To your point about social media and how it affects our mental state and also people in general, I think that's going to be inevitably where we're going to go anyway, because I do feel like there's mm -hmm. going to be major changes um, coming our way in terms of the way we socialize, in terms of, you know, getting social, um, not only on yeah. social media, but also in person. There's going to be some things that we're, we're not used to. So for yeah. me, it's, it's a, it's a big, big, big change from how I, I grew up, you know, and, and, and for people yeah. that are younger, like you and, and people like my kids, like, you, like super young, the ones that are just coming into this world right now, it should be very interesting as to how, you know, they grew up, you know, and how it affects them, you know, but, but for you, I'm very hopeful for this generation Z thing because I think you guys mm -hmm. have a mind that's very pro-earth, pro-human, uh, pro-equality, justice. I, it's just what, I, what I'm seeing. You guys are very vocal as to what is right. You feel what's right and what's wrong. A lot of, a lot of us yeah. don't feel that anymore, which is sad. Like, you know, you don't really see that this mm -hmm. is wrong or you don't, you don't think that this should be handled differently. You don't think that... We should be leaving a better world behind for our kids because that's something that we all have to be thinking about. Whether you are on the verge of having kids or not, or if you have kids or you don't have kids, it doesn't matter. Maybe do it for a niece or, or whatever or, or a nephew, but leave it for, for what do you want to leave the world as, you know, and, and for the people that come behind you. And I think you guys are conscious about it and I think you guys are vocal about it. And I want to hear about 
you about your opinions on that and what you think this generation could bring and what do you think you could do as an entrepreneur to influence uh, others, your community and, and, and people around the world? Yeah, that's another great question. And um, to top it off, I think the first elephant in the room uh, to address is, is the issue of climate change. And you speak to one side and it's going to be hellfire and absolute destruction. You speak to the other side and it's, it's a total hoax. Um, I think that there's nuance with everything. So the, the timetable that we have, I, I think is leaning more towards within this century, we will see the ramifications of 200 plus years of industrialization. Um, and, and that's, it's sobering when you think of it that way, but yes, we've been industrial and we've been living this sort of life at an exponentially increasing rate, but for the better half of 200 years. So, you know, that's going to catch up. And if we don't start at least preparing for those ramifications, very much like we some may say that we were unprepared for the current situation happening now. It's going to be, it's going to be bad. And I don't want to be a, a, a harbinger of doom. Uh, I want to be a, a, a hopeful person and, and project hope and, and say that there's time, there's time for us to not reverse the damage. It's irreversible, unfortunately, but we can curb the damage and we can prepare for what's coming. And, and we, at that point, we need to rely on the science. And um, that's sort of as a general view, but I think underneath all of that is the very fact that there is such a split and it's a clear line. You can almost tell what political party someone's affiliated with just by asking a simple question of what do you think about climate change? Something that should be almost universally panned as at least real, you know, whether or not we are contributing it to it as, as much as some say we are, you can't deny that it's happening. Uh, and, and now you can spread that out across multiple issues. And the, the real problem is that there's such a divide and that that's been around, you know, but I, I do believe that over the past four years, it's been accentuated and aggravated, um, by the political figures, uh, in power. And I think it serves them for us to be divided because then they can continue the game that they play and uh, they become less uh, overt about it or covert about it. They're, they're just more brazen with, with their deception. And I think that's the issue. And we need to come together cross generationally, you know, not just my generation. It needs to be a united front that we say, you know, enough is enough. And, and we, we need to hold the people that are in power accountable because that is what we elected them to do. We, we, we elected them because we collectively agreed that we can't govern ourselves. We need a government. Hmm. So if that's the case, then they need to do their job and they need to be held accountable for the shortcomings and the successes. And that won't happen as, as long as we are divided and, and, and calling dismissing each other. You know, if, if you're, if you're pro Trump, you're, a racist and a bigot. If you are pro Biden, you're a socialist, you know, you want to defund the police and swing all the way to the other left side. So it, it can't be 
so uh, divisive. We, it, there's nuance. Uh, I, I try and toe the line, and I've been called, funnily enough, I've been called spineless, and I've been called a coward, and other names, simply because I refuse to identify with either side, because I choose to acknowledge that there's nuance in all things that we discuss. So, but that's how it. That's how it's supposed to be. Why do we have two options? And and I'm with you on that because I don't necessarily have to take a position. I have a strong position against, you know, any type of injustice, racism, and, and just, you know, lying and mistreatment of people and then all that kind of stuff. I, I just can't deal with that. I, I'll I'll vote for like a pile of crap before I, I accept that, that stuff. To your point, why do we have to pick? You know, and, and I don't think, I don't th- I think it's the opposite of a coward. <laughs> I think it's actually strong because... You don't have to fit the mold. You have the ability to make your own assessment. And that's that's a great thing. Yeah. And and I, I say that not to, to garner pity because I I don't believe that I'm a coward. And again, it goes, did you reach your peak or didn't you? Do you? Are you a coward or aren't you? I know I'm not a coward. And I know I'm not spineless. I know that I, I take hardline stances where there needs to be a hardline taken. You're either a racist or you're not. There's no gray area. There's no nuance, you know. Um, so you can take hard lines. I'm not saying that everything has that nuance. I'm saying most things have nuance, you know. So that needs to be the discussion is how do we find the middle? How do we come together? Because if I just continue to lob uh, assaults at you based off of an affiliation that you have or an opinion that you have, that may not be racist it just may be associated with what people are saying are racist that that's not productive we need to get to the bottom of it and even if even if you're going to speak with someone who is on the complete other side of what you would ever believe in how are you ever going to find a middle if you don't engage them if you just continue to lob insults at each other that's all you're ever going to do and then the people on top will stay on top and the wheel will just keep on turning and 50, 60 years from now, we're going to be wondering what the hell happened to our country. And some people are wondering what happened to it now. But that, that's only four years of divisiveness. You know, and you, you, I think the leading up to this election, and this is a very pivotal time for our country and our, our world. Uh, but specifically, the U.S. is in a very difficult time right now. I, As someone that was born in this country, I'm, I, I am a patriot. And I, I don't think that that makes me a racist. I, I know my country's history. I understand the injustices that have been carried out and I rebuke them. And I, I vehemently say that they're wrong and what has happened has been wrong. And there's a lot of wrong that still needs to be righted. But this is at the end of the day, the country that I called home. And to say that because of our our past, everything must just be burnt down and start from scratch. And this is a, a failed state. I don't think so either. I, I think that the principles of democracy and discourse and acceptance, as ironic as it was for people to be writing it, who in fact were slave owners, it's ironic that they were talking about freedom and, and equality. It doesn't make the words any less true. It just makes them hypocrites to a, a certain degree. But if we just look at the principles that they were outlining, this these are ideals that we wanted to strive towards. It wasn't saying this is how it is now. It's 
this is where we want to be. And I think that's what we've forgotten as a country. And, and it's been politicized, unfortunately. We've forgotten what it means to be an American today. And today it means accepting your neighbor and loving and understanding, trying to appreciate what they have to say, even if you disagree. It, it's about finding the middle ground and staying united because we were the, the first, we were the first of our kind, you know, and, and countries follow suit based off of the experiments that we ran as a country. And, and so I hold a lot of what we've accomplished as a nation in high regard. And I acknowledge the bad as well. And, and I, I wish that we could take it back, but we can't, we can only be do better moving forward. But I, I think we need to try and do better while also looking inwards and saying, you know, what can we do as a society to start to bridge those gaps? That doesn't include insulting each other. <laughs> What's the other way? There, there must be another way. Man, Chris, I, I must congratulate you once again. You are definitely um, one of a kind man. And um, your parents definitely did a great job. And your grandparents definitely did a great job on your parents and on, you, and on yourself. Um, because um, that's exactly the type of, of, of thinking, of reasoning that we need um, not only in this country, but in this world, you know, we need a lot yeah. of, a lot more of that. We need that in, in high places, you know, and such in leadership situations more. And that's what we're lacking. That's what we've been lacking for a long time, you know, and we don't have that. We need that in my opinion, to survive as, as human beings and, and to keep this planet going and moving in the right direction. Cause, um, yeah, yeah we, we were, you know, going through tough times. Tough, tough times, man. But hey, thanks again, man. Thanks for coming. Um, I definitely feel like there's going to be an episode two with you soon because there has to be. there's a lot more to talk about. You're awesome. Thank you again. Keep doing you. Thank you, Jeff. It was great jumping on here, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, doing it again soon. All righty. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Getting Social Podcast. If you know a friend that would benefit from this episode, please share it. And remember to subscribe and review.